sermon bump, bumper was so much longer today. <laughs> Not sure why. Church, good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to look out and see so many wonderful faces this morning. Dads, we're honoring you today. Did you know that church on Father's Day is a lot of times the last place dads want to be? Because traditionally we have preached and we have just told dads what a lousy job they're doing. We're not going to do that this one. Well, Paul's going to address some things. Let's just say that. I want to just say a word of thanks to our pastor. Now, when we knew that he was going to be coming back from the Philippines and we knew what it was like to come back from the Philippines, we said, you need to have somebody else preach. And so Josh Howard, who did a great job for us last week as we got into chapter 4, was on tap. Be praying for him and his family. He shared with you last week that his grandmother had passed away. So Aaron called me and said, I'm going to ask you a favor. You can say no. He does that a lot. But he knew. I love to preach. I love to teach. I love to share the truth of God's Word. Several years ago, I stepped out of ministry. Some of you know I dealt with an addiction. And I walked through a series of a period of restoration, and I'll never forget the first time that the church that I was in asked me to lead on a Wednesday night. Um, I was driving to that church, and I was just trembling at the sheer holiness of what I was getting ready to do. And I feel that way this morning. To be asked to open the Word of God among the people of God is a holy thing. And so I covered your prayers, and I can't wait. I'm so excited to get into this passage. Um, we're going to talk about dads a little bit this morning. There's a little boy named Tommy. Tommy is nine years old. And Tommy, for his birthday, got a box from his great aunt. And on the front of that box was the picture of the most amazing pirate ship he had ever seen. Well, he couldn't wait to tear into that thing. He opened it up, just waiting to lay his eyes on that beautiful ship. Well, you know what it was? It was a model. All of the pieces were there. And he was upset, but he had this thought. Dad's out of town. What would Dad do? He had that thought, and as he looked across the table, he saw the directions. <laughs> what would Dad do? The story goes, he actually did follow the directions step by step, built a beautiful ship, and his dad came home and was so proud. Because here's the truth. Our kids imitate us, don't they? You see, we all have what the Bible calls an oikos. Those of you that have gone through the 411 training as we share our faith, that is a word that says household, and it means our sphere of influence. You see, we have people whose lives we speak into, whose lives we influence, and they're watching. Parents, I want you to look at the screen. There are some things, and I know this looks exactly like your house. Our kids help us. They learn. They imitate. Yeah, they imitate. I just, see, all of these pictures, I took them at your house. They look, your, your house looks just like that. And, they, and, they, and our kids imitate, and they imitate the great stuff. You remember the first time you had to correct your child for something they learned from you? Look there. Isn't that awesome? Shaving. I don't know what those things are they're holding. But you have to remember they're also going to imitate the bad. Here's daddy's little girl. <laughs> so... <laughs> So just remember, somebody's watching, whether it may be a mannerism, 
something in your way you speak. I say things. My dad has been, has been dead for 10 years now, and there are still things. My wife says, you become more like Bob Bragg every day you live. And that was even with my dad being out of my life in early years. And so we imitate and we, you know, it's kind of the progressive insurance commercial. We can't help you becoming like your parents. We become like those that are around us, those influences. Well, that's where the Apostle Paul is with the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, Apostle Paul had planted it around 50 AD. He planted it on his second missionary journey. He writes this book addressing problems whereby the Corinthian church had adopted an appetite for worldly things, worldly power, worldly wisdom, a compromised culture, rather than the posture of humility that Paul had exemplified. I want us to look, because when I get into this, I have so enjoyed studying this this week, to look at the church at Corinth, to look at the community of Corinth. And this is the thing. We live in Wendell, East Wake, this region, North Carolina, United States, 2022. But I want you to listen and compare with Corinth. The church at Corinth was only about 10 years old when this was written. But let's look at the culture in the community of Corinth. It was affluent, top 1%, you could say. It was located on an isthmus. I really wanted you to say that one. Isthmus. Uh, on an isthmus that separated the Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea. It was a port. It was right in the heart of the Greco-Roman trade. They were a religious people. The Corinthians worshipped Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, Beauty, pleasure, and procreation. Now, I'm just going to say this. We're an affluent nation. We're also a nation that if we don't get a handle on some things when it comes to love, pleasure, procreation, gender identity, and things like that, Corinth was the site of the Isthmus Games. I get to say it twice. Second only to the Olympics. We love our sports, don't we? The Isthmus Games were held on alternating years from the Olympics. It was a port city. Lots and lots of trade coming in there. And by the time that the Apostle Paul arrives, Corinth had the largest population in Greece, comprised of Greeks, Romans, and Jews. It was a melting pot. Does this sound at all familiar? The church in Corinth, the, the culture in Corinth, compared to the, church, the, the culture in which we're living. The church was one among, among one of Paul's greatest missionary efforts, but it also provided some of his greatest challenges. And all the pastors in the room said, we understand. It's the context for this that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Now, there's a lot to cover in the book, in, in first and second Corinthians. So we're, I, I just, I'm so thankful we're going to be here for a while, but I want us to look at this. Within the first three chapters where we've been and getting into four today, so far Paul has addressed quarreling over which leaders are to be followed, spiritual immaturity among its members, leaning on human wisdom instead of godly wisdom, operating in human power rather than trusting in the power of God, Pretty much the things that you might expect from a young church, a church of young believers. But Paul is shining a light and writing to shine a light on that. Let's look real quickly at where we were last week as Josh uh, walked us through. Paul's admonition as we started this chapter, that we're called to be faithful servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. If you recall last week, Josh gave us that picture that the Apostle Paul gives us early on that we are called to be under rowers. Do you remember him talking about that? In the very, very bottom of the ship, in a, in a place where it stunk, in a place where there was no sunlight, no air, no, bre no, no breeze, no, no ocean breeze to help out. But the idea, hipparites, which was also in Greek was a slang term for whoever wasn't in charge. You know, we have those same kind of things that we think of, the people that are the servants that, that are not in charge, the water cool, cooler conversation. 
Paul also challenges against the judgment of others as we look to the left and look to the right. Boasting is not in order because the thing is this, any gift you have came from the Father. It was a gift. So open your Bibles, chapter 8. We're going to start in verse, chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 8. Let's read together. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have had countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a spirit, love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, I have to give a disclaimer and a warning. If this is the first time you're reading this passage, I need you to be sure that you realize there's sarcasm. Now, there are different spiritual teachings on sarcasm. There are those who say, you should never speak with sarcasm, it's a sin. That is not the position of Hepzibah Baptist Church or any of its pastoral staff. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. We do, huh? It's like a hug. We believe it is a gift. Aaron has a placard in his office. Sarcasm is just one one of the many services I offer. Um, here's the thing. Sarcasm, one, I love the fact that we see Paul using it. So we see how it is to be used. But sometimes, sometimes our arguments are just, and I really want to say that S word that we're not supposed to teach our kids to say, you know, sometimes our arguments are illogical, foolish, maybe that's the word. And sometimes we have to hold up a mirror that says, do you see how illogical and foolish this argument is? And so one of the great tools to do that is sarcasm. So, that being said, we're going to read this, understanding the way Paul says this. Our first point is this. Paul's going to hang up, he's going to hold up a picture to them. That's what happens a lot of time with sarcasm, is we hold up a picture. So let's very first thing, look at Paul's picture, a look at the Corinthian church. There's a lot of details in this passage, but I have four points, and they all have subpoints. but don't get nervous. It's going to move really quick. Because he says this, you are full. Look at that. Verse 8a, already you have all you want. Do you have all you want, church? There's always something more, isn't there? There's always, there's always a need. But he says, oh, look, you have all you want. You're full. And not only that, you're rich. Look at the next, next part of that verse. You have become rich. And the third thing, you have reigned as kings. Without us, you have become kings. Y'all hear the sarcasm, right? And would that you did reign. Oh, that you did reign. Because then we could come and we could reign with you. 
Now, this is where he's just beginning to start. This is his look at the Corinthian church. Now, let's quickly move to the second point where Paul says, let's look at the apostles. He says, starting in verse 9, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. So the first thing he says is, the apostles are exhibited by God. Some translations may say displayed. But it is God who says, wait a minute, let me show you the example. Remember, Paul had established this church. He had been with them. He had set the tone and the temperature for this. So, And Paul is always going to take us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Always. And so we get here and he says, wait a minute, the apostles, first off, were exhibited by God. It's God. He even goes back to, first, to the very first uh, verse of chapter 1. He says, Paul, an apostle called by the Lord God. So the fact is, he is operating under the calling and under the unction. He is not doing any of this to elevate himself. We don't do any of this to elevate ourselves. We are leading, we are speaking, we are setting this example because we are under God and we're exhibited by God. We're exhibited by God like men who are sentenced to death. Now, there's been a battle. There's been a victor. Who leads the parade back home for the victor? The, the warriors. They're the ones who get the ticker tape parade. Right behind them, the plunder. The gold, the silver, the reward for the battle. And who brings up the very end of the line? Those who are prisoners and who are condemned to death because they lost. So he says we're exhibited. It's actually is going to talk about the idea that we're a spectacle, like we're theatrical, to be able to say that we're like men sentenced to death. People see us and they know our lives don't count for anything except for the glory of God. And he says that we are made a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men, I don't think he left anybody out. The world is everybody. The angels of the heavens and the men are the people that are right there looking so intently. This is that idea that it's a theatrical thing. There was a great coliseum in Corinth. All of the things that we would think of in a typical kind of uh, arena with a coliseum and whatnot with Christians... That kind of thing happened there. We are made a spectacle as men led to die. Should we give the altar call right now? Because that's what everybody wants to, to experience following Jesus Christ, right? Remember what we said. It's not about what we want. It's about how and who he calls. Thirdly, let's go a little bit deeper. Paul's picture, we're going to go a little bit deeper because he gets, I, I love when, we, when Paul gives us lists, and I'm so glad he does in so many of his letters. He gives us lists to be able to help us enumerate and walk through this. But here's what we're going to do. Remember, we've got some sarcasm. He said, let me go a little deeper with what it looks like to be an apostle. We're fools for Christ's sake. Everybody wants to be called a fool, right? No, nobody wants to be a fool. But he says, for Christ's sake, we will lay down our very pride. We will lay down anything that stops us for Christ's sake. Your problem, church at Corinth, is that you're wise. You've got it figured out. Remember, we said already, he's talked about, you have a problem operating in the wisdom of man. I remember coming up, and I had mentors in ministry who said, Kevin, if you're going to be an effective ministry, minister, you've got to be willing to make, your, make a fool of yourself. You know what? That works, especially when you work with teenagers. 
looking to seek us. Some of them know the foolishness that I've exhibited before. Usually involves a wig, something like that. You know, when you don't have hair. But, but sometimes you have to take yourself a little not so seriously. That's what he's saying here. We have become fools for Christ. We'll do whatever we need to do. But you are wise. We're weak. Remember, that we're weak based on what you think. But you're strong. Worldly strength. You're distinguished. We're dishonored. Remember, he is painting this picture of what it looks like to live as an apostle in a worldly culture. Church, I want you to stop and I want you to think. You know, when we come through these doors, and it was great in here this morning. I, I, you know, I, my mind, my spirit was just tuned in. Thank you, Austin, for leading in worship this morning. And the band, I love our team. I love the front of the room, the back of the room. They serve so faithfully and serve so well. You can sign up using the QR code in the back of the room. But it was good to be in God's house. There's something when we come into this place. Truthfully, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where we come and we're refreshed. And where we're recharged and we're recalibrated, refocused. To be able to go back out into the fray. But when it comes to our lives on Sunday versus our lives on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I heard a song this week that said, I love you on Tuesday mornings. Because nobody, who cares about Tuesday mornings? Tuesday mornings are just another day of the week. To be able to live with consistency in front of the world, the life that we say we live in here. Now then he moves into what, I'm, what I call the apostles portion. Because he gets into this list. Starting in verse 11. He says, to the present hour, that means right now. This isn't hypothetical. He says, this is the life of an apostle. We hunger and thirst. Physical. We have physical needs. We hunger. We thirst. We're poorly dressed. Poorly clothed. Buffeted. You all know what that means? It's not a word we use in everyday language, is it? I mean, we sing it, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Do you know what it means to be buffeted? To be beaten repeatedly. Hallelujah. We're buffeted. In other words, the abuse just kind of keeps coming. We're homeless. In other words, there wasn't a place they put their feet down. You remember the Apostle Paul went from Corinth to Ephesus. And on these journeys, he was constantly moving to establish the sake of the gospel to be able to plant these churches. And we labor working with our own hands. Now think about the culture in which he's talking about. We labor, we work. That was not necessarily valued. Think about our culture today. A good day's work, an honest day's work, is, how, is to be highly valued, isn't it? But in this day and age, to labor with one's hands, oh, it was looked down upon. When reviled, we bless. Do you know what it is to be reviled? That means they got words in their mouth against you. It's verbal abuse. When persecuted, we endure physical abuse. When slandered, when people talk about you, here's what you do. When somebody's talking about you, do you want to invite them to come down and sit at your table for tea? No, you don't want to be anywhere in their presence. He said, but when people talk bad about us, for Christ's sake, I want to sit down with them. I want to entreat them. I want them to come, and I want us to share communion together because it gives me an opportunity to speak the gospel. Now, are you all ready for this last one? We have become 
as the scum of this world, as the dregs of society. How many of you have days where as a Christ follower, you feel like the dregs, you feel like the scum? On those days, here's my question. Is it you feel that way because your eyes are on you? Or do you feel that way because your eyes are on the Lord and you're feeling persecution and slander and reviling and defamation because you stand for Christ? Most days when we feel less than, the focus is on us. Now, it may be the Holy Spirit saying, listen, my child, enough's enough. You remember the prodigal son? What happened when he was in the pig trough? He was eating the slop from the, from the pigs, and he, he came to himself. To be able to be there when we realize who God has made us to be. And you may be sitting here today, and you're like, okay, what does this have to do with me? You've never, you've never placed your faith in Christ? I pray that today... That this would be the day that you would see the love of Christ, you would see the love of God, and place your faith in Him. He does call us to all of this, the apostles' portion. But He does it for a purpose. He does it for His glory and for our good. All right, Paul has given us a look at Corinthians. He's given us a look at the apostles. And he's even gone down deeper and given us this list to work with. But I always like it when, there's an op, when, the, when he gives us the opportunity to say, okay, what do you do with this? So let's look at his warning and the challenge, which takes us to the end of the passage there. When we get to the next section, next passage of Scripture, let me pull up my Scripture. He says in verse 14, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Do you know that there's a difference between shame and being ashamed? This is what he says. The apostle's rebuke is not being made to bring shame, but rather to warn. There is something where shame actually can be a useful tool for us to see where we've fallen short. But what he says is, I'm not saying this to make you ashamed. Who wants to make you feel like a failure as a follower of Christ? The enemy. The enemy is going to teach you and tell you the lies. You just aren't good enough. It's one of the things that I've had to learn in my life and I've tried to teach my kids. If there is a message that comes in your mind, in your heart, that takes you away from God, it's not from God. But if there's a message that draws you to the Father, I can guarantee you it comes from the heart of the Father. It may come through a brother or a sister that speaks it into you, but anything that takes you closer to God comes from the heart of God. So when we look at that and we see a rebuke, we don't like a rebuke. Nobody. This is one of our issues, and I shared this when I preached back in March. We don't like authority. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. Amen? I expected a bigger amen than that, you know. But, but you know, we don't like being told what to do. It's my problem. I, I, Rita, I don't like being told what to do, right? Aaron's sitting beside you. He will bear witness. Aaron knows. My personality type is, just leave me alone. Let me do my thing. My son, Logan, back there, he's smiling too because he knows. Just let me do my thing. We're independent. We don't want someone to correct, but I'd be honest with you. Thank God. I stand here at the 11-year mark, and if it wasn't for that man's rebuke along the way, loving rebuke, most of the time, it was, all, it was, always, it was always loving. But I wouldn't be standing here 11 years later. Because we're all on a journey. We're all growing. But Paul is giving this rebuke not to make them ashamed, not to wear them down, but to say, listen, 
here's a warning. Is there to rattle their cages a little bit? We all need our cage rattled every so often. Sorry, I lost my outline. Paul writes as a loving father to his children. Now, we didn't plan this passage for Father's Day. Just so you all know, that's not the way the sermons are scheduled around here. Aaron said, we're going to the book of Corinthians. And he broke it down, and he has, he has no idea what day falls when. He just says, this is what I'm preaching. And so here we are. But Paul is writing as a father to his children. Now, he's not saying, call me father. That's not what that Jesus told us in Matthew 23. You're not going to call him father. But he says, as a father, he said, because here's the thing. I birthed this church. I gave birth to the church at Corinth. So he writes as a loving father, and he reminds them that he is the spiritual father of this church. Now, I shared with you earlier, um, my dad... Uh, was not there when I was young. Dad struggled with alcoholism, uh, and so I also have that addictive personality uh, in my life. But there were spiritual fathers. Uh, there were people that God put in my path to make sure. Now, I'm going to tell you, the first spiritual father was my grandmother. Can you do that? Because here's the thing. My grandmother. I was the baby grandchild. It's here for all the babies out there. Woo. Babies don't like being told what to do, by the way. That's just how that connects. But my grandmother, knowing my parents had divorced, my dad was struggling with alcoholism, she made sure I went to church. She drove out of her way to get me and pick me up and get me to church. She's also the one who taught me how to play the piano. But her pastor, Pastor John Haynes, he was a State Farm insurance salesman, bivocational. He was one of these preachers. Now, I'm telling you, our church, we ran 60 on Sunday morning. And he had this big oak pulpit. And it had a Radio Shack microphone right here. And he would get up here and he'd preach. And then he'd get right down here in that microphone. Meanwhile, I was sleeping on the front row. But one day, Brother John Haynes, I tried to find pictures for these people to put them up on the screen. I can't find any pictures. But Brother John Haynes, this insurance salesman who God had called to be a pastor, stopped me and said, Kevin, you have been coming to church for a long while now, and I've been watching you. Don't you think it's time? That you asked Jesus to save you. Now, I'm going to say this. That day, I don't remember the date. But that day, it was a summer Sunday. And we went into a little side classroom. Sun was shining in. Everybody else went home. But my grandmother and Pastor John, Brother John, and myself went in there. Over the years, with my journey and my story... I had to say, God was, am I yours? Based on my behavior and, 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 and the sin that's in my life, am I even yours? And God took me back to that little yellow curtains on the window. Probably still there. Took me back to that little classroom and said, son, that was it. I nailed it down right then. You became my child right then. John Haynes was a spiritual father for me. Not too many years after that, I ended up at First Baptist Church Smyrna and Bob Thompson. Now, Bob, he was our youth leader. But Bob was an accountant because we didn't have a youth pastor. We didn't have paid staff. We had chairman of the committees. Y'all all right? In Baptist Church, we had committees for everything. And Bob was the chairman of the, of the youth committee. But here's the thing. God had called him. God gave him a heart and a passion for students. 
He's the one who discipled me. And he's the one who was my spiritual father when my dad wasn't there. He's the one. I hadn't thought about this until just now. He is the one that their little boy, Rob, he looked at me one day and he said, Kevin, I don't know what Rob is going to turn out like when he gets to be older. But his mom and I have talked. And we hope he's a lot like you. Rob, Bob was my youth leader. He poured things into me and he drew things out of me. I graduated, went off and did my thing. He was getting ready to take a youth group on a Sunday morning. He was getting ready. They were commissioning them. And he was getting ready to go to camp, and he dropped dead of, a, of an aneurysm on the front row of the church. He was 34 years old. He's one of my spiritual fathers. The pastor of that church, W.D. Thomason, took up the mantle. Now, here's the thing. W.D. Thomason is still alive and ministering. He buried my mom. He buried my dad. He has ministered to my family. He actually went and met my stepdad and ministered to him after mom died and got him back into church so that his life could end differently than it was running. These are my spiritual fathers. And there are so many others. There are people in this room who have had an impact in my life and the way I leave it, the way I live it. I mean, I've learned a good bit of parenting advice from Steven Sanderson. My kids know that. <laughs> but who are your spiritual fathers? And here's my question. There's somebody in your life, there's somebody in your journey that you would look and you would say, when I grow up, I want to be like them. Can I give you a word of advice? Do it. Years ago, Jim Whitmire, you don't know that name. There's no reason why you would know that name. But Jim Whitmire was the minister of music at Bellevue Baptist Church, the great Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Adrian Rogers was the pastor, the prince of preachers. Dr. Jim Whitmire was the minister of music. I got to be around Jim a few times, and I looked at Jim, the guy who led this great music ministry, who actually put orchestras in the church back in the 70s when we didn't have them, and just developed artists and musicians. And this is what I remember about Jim. Man, nobody knew the Word of God like him, and nobody could pray like him. I didn't remember, a th I mean, I, yeah, he, he was a great minister of music. Nobody, I'm telling you, nobody could get a congregation singing like Jim. But he knew the word of God, and he was a prayer warrior. Can I tell you, Jim probably wouldn't know who I was. But he was one of my spiritual mentors from a distance. I watched him. I wanted to be like him. And all that kept me from doing it was to just do it. Listen, we live in an age of therapy. I don't know if y'all know that. We've got more. i got to watch my time because we want to be able to get out of here. But we've got more things that we can do, whether it be a, a, a drug or a therapist. And I thank God for therapists. I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for a counselor to speak in my life. But church, we've got to stop making excuses. We've, we've got to stop making excuses. There are things that we use. There are things that happen in your life that you had no control over. They're the past. Today, God has given you breath in your lungs. He's given you a mind, a heart. He's given you his word. He's given you his spirit. We jokingly, we have this video clip that we have of Bob Newhart, which those of you that are old as me... Remember, you know, he played a counselor on TV, played a psychologist. And some years later, he did this skit. And, he's, and the lady comes in for counseling, and she says, I need help. 
He says, I can tell you everything you need. Two words. She's like, no, I'm, you just don't know. You just don't know. My, my, my issues are so deep, it's going to take an hour and beyond. He says, okay, well, give it to me. I'll, I'll, two words. Goes and she spills out all this stuff. He says, okay, are you ready? Write this down. Stop it. How many times has Aaron said, and this is actually comes from verse 6 of this chapter 4, the idea of neuthetic counseling. It's that idea of holding up and saying, look at the truth. People come into his office. He asks the question because we, most of the time we know the answer, don't we? We, we go because we want help. We want somebody. But most of the times we know what to do. We just need the Nike. We just need to do it or stop it and then do it. Paul reminds them he's the spiritual father of the church. I am going to finish this thing. And he says this. Now listen, as your spiritual father, remember what I did when I was in your presence and imitate me. Do you know how bold someone has to be say to do, do what I do? It's what he's going to tell. See, he's going to say this over in chapter 11. Follow me as I follow the Lord. In other words, be, do what I do. We have a, a part in our worship uh, guiding documents. And one of our principles is we want the people of Hepzibah Baptist Church to worship like we do. Well, that's kind of arrogant. Here's the problem. Here, here's, the, here's the thing. If I hold the responsibility of leadership so sacred... And if my worship life before the Father is holy and I'm connected and I'm worshiping, why wouldn't I want your, your worship life to look like that if that's what we're doing? So there's nothing wrong if, if I am striving and I'm pressing in and I am doing the things that God has called me to do and I'm living this life of humility and sold-out servanthood before the Father, why wouldn't I want you to imitate that? You've heard the statement, when somebody's doing something really awesome, it's like, may your tribe increase. Yes, we need more people like you. We need more people who are going to serve. We need more people who are going to tithe, which we do, by the way. We need more people who are going to count the cost and sacrifice and do what needs to be done the cause is too great did you hear pastor Aaron say we've been on the field we're going to the field the world is dying and going to hell and he put it in our hands we're entrusted with the gospel so he says imitate me now he also says this there are some of you that are talking and running your mouths I think the word he uses there is arrogant. Because you say, I'm not coming back. Well, I'm sending Timothy. Let me ask you this. Have you ever poured so much into somebody's life that you felt confident saying, I can't be there? But here's Timothy. And he's going to lead you in the ways that I've taught, in the ways that I teach and I preach everywhere. Timothy's going to come, and he is going to guide you. He says earlier in this passage, you have a lot of guides, you have a lot of tutors, you need a father. I didn't put that in there, I'm sorry. Timothy's going to come and be as a father to you. He is going to help take responsibility for what's happening there. And as for those who want to talk about the fact that I'm not coming, he said, if the Lord wills, I'm coming. And then we're going to see what they have to say. Because the work of the Lord is about what? Power. It's not about the words. I never heard the phrase until I came to serve with Aaron Wallace. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I'll give him credit. I don't know who quoted it, who said it first, but I'll give him credit. Don't talk about it. Be about it. So here's the thing. What do we do with this? Here are some next steps. Here are some next steps, and this is where I want you to consider. The first thing I want you to consider is this. Am I a child of God? This letter was written from Paul to believers at Corinth. 
the first thing we have to ask is, am I a child of God? Jesus Christ came and taught and lived and set the example, and then he laid his life down by dying on a cross, the very Son of God, that we might be cleansed, we might be freed. By the way, I don't know if you know, today is Juneteenth. It's the day that is recognized as the day when those who had been in slavery in the United States heard and got word that they had been freed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to remember the day that we heard and received the word that we were made free. But now let me tell you, that's the first thing. Am I a child of God? If you're not, you need to nail that down today. Believer, here's the second thing. Am I a faithful servant and steward of the mysteries of God? That was Paul's admonition as he started verse 4. We are called, called, not commanded, not coerced. We're called. This is God that's doing it, right? We're called to be faithful servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. Am I faithful with what I know God has given me? Some of you are so faithful. You've taught. You've shared the gospel. You've gone when you asked to go. you served. You've underrode. You have cut. You've done all of that. May we increase and press into that. The third thing is this. Who am I imitating? Remember I said we all imitate. We're all going to follow somebody. Who am I imitating? Paul had Timothy. Who am I imitating? Who is further ahead of the journey spiritually than me that I am coming up under? We've got D groups that are going in the church. Are you even attending a small group? That's a good place to start. Get in a small group where we can connect under God's word and get to know people. And here's the final question. Who's imitating me? I promise you someone is. I promise you someone is. Remember I said the oikos, that sphere of influence that you have? We all have influence. You, you may have influence with the young person that checks at the gas station who sees you in there every day, but they know your face. And they, they know you're kind because you speak to them when you go in to pay for your gas. I mean, you've got to be kind these days. Let's not murmur under our breath while we're, being, while we're paying for it. But wherever your oikos is, wherever God has placed you, there's somebody to the left, to the right, and it may be somebody on the other side of that person that God's going to say, okay, you need to encounter this person. They're a believer. They're a believer. Encounter them to be able to encounter the person beside them. Have you ever thought about it? Why didn't God just save us and take us home? That was not his purpose. That was not his plan. We're here to be what? Salt. And here we're here to be light. We're here to be ambassadors for the glory of God. So somebody's imitating us. Who are we imitating and how are we radiating? Father God, I come to you this morning and thank you. I thank you for the time we've had to spend. I thank you, God, for just the truth that Paul shares to this church, this church that we can identify with. Lord, we live in a world where the idea of humility is so, so foreign the idea of brokenness and humble living and sacrificial giving and all of these things, Lord, they're, they're foreign. And so, Lord, we don't want to do it because the world says that they'll take note of it. We want to do it because it's what you've called us to. And if we walk that path, Lord, you'll draw people. If we lift high Jesus, you will draw people. And so, Lord, find us faithful, I pray, that we are faithful stewards, we are faithful servants for your glory in your kingdom. And if there's one here today, Lord, who does not know you, I pray that today will be the day in private conversation or whether they join us here at the front in just a few minutes, Lord, to be able to speak with Pastor Aaron or someone else, to be able to just help 
that this would be the day that they understand what it is to love, to serve, to know the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. And Lord, for each one of us that are believers in this place, Lord, raise us up. Help us to, to just follow your leading. Father, speak in this time is my prayer. Help us to consider what we've heard, consider what your word has said, and Lord, by your spirit, would you move in this place. Thank you.